It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, John Cross of the Daily Mirror, and Ali Oradipo, the journalist and broadcaster. Opening day is a traditional time for overreaction. So let's get in the mood. Newcastle United are going to win the Premier League. West Ham, of course, are doomed. Jose Mourinho is running out of excuses. Mikel Arteta is Arsene Wenger incarnate. And Marcelo Bielsa, well, he's the best thing out of Argentina since Maradona and the state-bottled Melbeck. What about Liverpool? They were far from their best against Leeds, but already some so-called fans are panicking. Is it time to get a grip, Addy? Absolutely. It's crazy how you panic in a win. This wasn't a loss. This was a good Bielsa-Leeds team. Look, there were mistakes definitely in the match. Van Dijk wasn't his usual self. I think Trent was awful. Let's be honest. I can't think of any other word to describe that performance apart from awful. But that was the first game of the season. All these players have been away on international duty, playing in different formations, playing alongside different right backs and left backs and centre backs. And they've all come together in four or five days and everyone wants it to be party football from the very beginning. I think Liverpool fans in particular should just chill out a bit. That's the only word I can think of how to describe it. Relax, chill out. We won. We move on. I think the, the main concern for Liverpool fans has been sort of the lack of sort of incoming players at Liverpool. There seems to be this notion that you have to buy players every single season. It's almost like the new jerseys, and we're going to talk about that and my rant about new kits later. But it seems to be a notion that you have to buy players. This Liverpool team was runaway leaders, and I, I don't see anyone getting injured. I don't see anyone that much older. I don't see anyone off the pace. They're fine. Uh, Liverpool are fine right now. I still think they're miles above any team in the Premier League, and I really do believe that. I think Chelsea will do good this season. I think United will do good. I think City will do good. But I still think this Liverpool squad is good enough to retain the title. And I think that's what Liverpool fans should focus on and not that they conceded three goals to Leeds United. Yeah, they they need time to regain the intensity, don't they, John? Let's look at maybe, okay, we can pick holes. You know, the dangers of a, a high defensive line were quite obvious. What about Joe Gomez? Is he under pressure now from, from Matip, do you think? Yeah, I think he will be. I do think that Joe Gomez is 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 probably and arguably England's best defender, and I think at times last season alongside Van Dijk he looked an absolute Rolls Royce. I mean, really, 
really wonderful, didn't he? And sort of kind of the pair of them together, I thought, were, were magnificent. I don't think we should should kind of almost shy away from the fact that Liverpool's end to the season wasn't wasn't ideal, was it? I mean, you know, they clearly won the title long before term broke up, and we even sort of kind of went back to to Project Restart. And did they was that down to a little bit of complacency slipping in? That the fact that they, mentally they thought they'd already won it in their heads. Or deeper underlying issues, which then, I guess, you know, might be partly behind defensive frailties on Saturday. Although I have to say, I, I you know, I I also go along with the, the fact that basically sometimes you just got to, you know, say what a wonderful match. I mean, it was just astonishing quality, wasn't it? It was, it was brilliant entertainment and, and completely unmissable. And so I don't think we should lose sight of that. My my only slight thing with with Liverpool is that I'll I'll beg to differ slightly in that basically I think sometimes in this league and they have so obviously signed a backup left back clearly. I think by standing still you you are in danger of going backwards. They had so much of a cushioning win in the league last season that arguably they they could go backwards and still win the league at a canter. But for everything that's been written and said, I still think it will take a sale for them to actually go ahead and proceed with Thiago from Bayern Munich. And it will take one in, one out, one in, if you like. And I wonder whether just to freshen that up wouldn't be such a bad idea. Because I think Thiago is a fabulous player, world-class talent. And yes, they've got those in abundance in their squad. But I actually think that basically more than Trent being slightly not out of the races yet, he's missed a bit of pre-season, hasn't he? Joe Gomez been away with England. We've seen that some of the players that, that sort of were away with England, it's disrupted their final preparations. There's no doubt about it. So, I, I you know, Joe Gomez won't be won't be the big concern all season long. And so I, I, I think that some of the criticism in his way is a bit unfair. But I just wonder whether Liverpool, to maintain and push on again, because that's what you need to do, I think perhaps should look at just freshening it up. Mm, what about an early hype alert, Addy? Kylian Mbappe uh, <laughs> said at the weekend that he wants to leave PSG at the end of the season. Is Liverpool a potential uh, stopping off point? Well, Liverpool can't afford Thiago Cantari yet, and that's only, what, 30 million <laughs> euros. So, I mean, you could add another zero to that figure for Mbappe. It's strange. Uh, the back end of last season, sorry, the back end of last season, yeah, before all, all the COVID issues and Hurst's being a bit tighter, Liverpool was talked about as a possible destination for Mbappe. It seemed, obviously, I think a bit unrealistic, but there were conversations. Now it just seems so far-fetched. I think Liverpool's front three is okay at the moment to the point where it doesn't need the reinforcements, maybe some do believe. I think we need a backup striker. I think Timo Werner would have been fantastic. I I expect to see a lot more this season from Minamino. But I think um, Liverpool are miles away from an Mbappe side. And if he does go anywhere, it's probably going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona, one of those big clubs. I'd love him to come to the Premier League. It'd be nice to see a superstar come to the Premier League as a superstar rather than the Premier League turn them into a superstar. So it'd be good to see Mbappe here, but I don't think Liverpool will be his destination. What, John, of the of the three promoted teams, Leeds, let's start with them. As you say, it was fantastic entertainment. They won't die wondering whether they're good enough, will they? No, they definitely won't. I do. I do think it's a it's a great ride, isn't it? And and Bielsa fascinates us. Funny enough, I'm reading Tim Rich's book on 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 him at the moment, and it's a fantastic sort of read. You know, he's someone that fascinates me. 
I'm not sure that the, the irregular Yorkshire lads that turn up on a Thursday to Thorpe Arch feel quite the same way because basically he does one all-in press conference that you basically, you know, struggle to understand through an interpreter. And that's it, basically. It's, it's very, it'll be very, you, basically, what is written about Leeds is largely going to be about the entertainment on the pitch mm. rather than off it, basically, this season. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a nightmare wise. for us, isn't it, John? It's a nightmare yeah. for our trade that you have to rely on an interpreter because you never, ever get anything close to the reality of what was said. Oh, blimey. It's just astonishing, isn't it? And, and whether that is. Unai Emery had a bit of that at Arsenal when he when he was able to do it through an interpreter and stop trying to do English. He was so much more expansive, so much more entertaining. Look at the difference with with Pochettino. Pochettino, when he started, obviously was was told to start speaking much more in English when he moved to Spurs. He was much better at it. But I tell you what, I did a few big Champions League games with Spurs and Pochettino in Spain. And then basically when he then spoke in, in Spanish, he was 50% better again. And Bielsa, you see that, that mythical figure standing on the edge of the pitch and it, he could be so illuminating, so colourful, so entertaining, and yet you'd never know it. And I dare say that he is so much better. I mean, listen, it's clear from from his mannerisms and his manner that he does not enjoy the press side of things. I think down the years, it's obvious that probably he feels that he's not had a fair crack of the whip. Leeds know that they've got this legendary manager and they're basically, they're, they're sort of balancing the profile that they will get from ploying this manager against his poor press basically but I, I think Leeds will be one of the most engaging clubs and one of the most entertaining to cover this season and it's going to be such a story I have no doubt about it that that Leeds will do okay this season am I getting a slightly a bit carried away with the Bielsa hype probably because you know that they, they will concede goals but I do think that they first half of the season certainly before perhaps we they do get tested for their energy and their work rate and the way that he demands you know, his players press for 90 minutes. I think they'll be very entertaining and will be and will give the big guns as they did on Saturday at Anfield a hell of a game. Can we just mm. applaud the fact, Mike, that Bielsa can sit in a squat position for 10 minutes at a time? Yeah, at the age of, what, 62 or How, How's he doing that? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on the lookout, actually, for the first person who gets his bucket or whatever he sits on, uh, gets that sponsored, you know? Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's, it's actually a branding opportunity, you know, made in heaven. Looking at that team, I know... Addy, the first impressions you know, are always or usually deceptive. But I looked at Rodrigo. OK, he gave away a desperately bad penalty. But at £28 million, only scored four goals this season, last season. Is that the sort of deal that fills you in any confidence? No, and it surprised me. On the surface, it looked fantastic for Leeds fans. I guess they, they feel like they're getting a, a top Spanish striker and a, a, a player that's done OK for Valencia. Number one Spanish striker at the moment, really, but that doesn't really say much because I think this Spanish team is probably the worst it's been in, say, the last sort of 20 years or so. But it does surprise me because, I mean, Patrick Bamford, we, we've seen him in the Premier League before. He's not a prolific goal scorer. 16 goals for Leeds last season, I don't, I don't think really tells the story. He had a lot of opportunities. So I don't think he's going to get them the goal. So you'd think they'll get in someone that, obviously it's difficult to guarantee goals in the Premier League, but get someone in with a better strike rate. Uh, Rodrigo's come in four goals Last season, I think eight goals a season before, he's not prolific. He's more 
in the Firmino type mold, which is fine if you have a Salah and Armani either side of you. Leeds don't have that. So it does surprise me they've spent that much money on him. I, I still think he'll be a good player for them. But if Leeds fans think he's going to get the goals, I, I think they might see that that's not really going to happen, unfortunately. Good player, but not the type of player to get you 15, 20 goals in the Premier League. Mm. What about Fulham, John? Fears pretty quickly realised? Yeah, I, I, I do worry about Fulham. I mean, for, for someone like me who's grown up and in, in London and watched London football all my life, it's difficult not to have Fulham as your kind of your second team and you sort of always go into to, to Fulham, Craven Cottage, and you want to see them do well, really. And, you know, this year... That that still remains the case, and I looked and I thought they can. Listen, as you'd expect, it was first game of the season, right? They're basically they, they competed first half, but the the, the thing that, that struck me was the the lack of general Premier League quality. They're crying out, I felt, for another centre half, if you like. I do feel that the kind of the finishing touch was there because they were they were in the game, weren't they, in that first half? And I did feel that basically, you know, they, they were working Arsenal. I, I guess you'd expect that. If you can't lift yourself for your first game back in the Premier League at home, then you're in real trouble. Where I thought the, the, the problems became far more obvious was the, the gap in, I thought they looked every inch the championship side second half. And I thought that Scott Parker' post-match assessment was, was was kind of almost generous to his team, saying, "Look, like elements of what I saw first half, but the difference is clear. You have to be much more clinical. We weren't that." And then the second half, I didn't like it so much, and I, I just felt that there was quite a glaring glimpse. I think that Fulham been so keen this season, haven't they, to not make the mistakes of the past when they spent what over one hundred and ten million pounds on a whole new team could have easily caused them so many financial problems and it must be a concern that they've gone the other way and I don't think they've strengthened enough listen they didn't start with with Mitrovic he's been away on international duty you suspect that basically he's come back not quite in the peak of his condition I think it will make a difference because it was in the penalty box where they lacked in that first half but I think generally unless luckily for teams they've still got two three weeks to go so I do think that they've still got an opportunity to strengthen but it's at this point where they think, do you know what? We're going to go down if we don't strengthen. Because I, I have to say, I really fear for them. I think they will go down unless they strengthen. Mm, yeah, with West Brom, the, the the gap was similarly obvious, wasn't it, against Leicester? Yeah, on that broader point, Addy, do you think the gap between the Football League and the Premier League is getting bigger? Yeah, it certainly is. There was a time where you felt like uh, players could even jump between the Championship and Premier League and, and do very well. I, I no longer have that faith. Um, it'd be really good to see what Ollie Watkins can do for Aston Villa. Obviously, he really scored a bucket load of goals. I think, what, 26 goals for Brentford last season. So it'd be good to see what he does. But that, that gap's just getting bigger and bigger. Just because the, the Premier League, even when I think of sort of the top 10 in the Premier League right now, that chase to get into the top 10 is, is, is a massive one, let alone sort of the top six, which I think is going to be nigh impossible to pick. I do fear for the likes of West Brom and Fulham. I mean, Leeds as well. I know, look, we all are very much on the Bielsa hype train, but they did concede four goals. Could have been more at Anfield. Fulham and West Brom, three goals apiece as well. I have concerns for all of those teams coming up. What what a lot of these teams coming up seem to, to, seem to do is play expansive football and it looks really pretty on the eye like Norwich did for, remember the opening couple of games of last season when they went to Anfield and then they had a good result against City and everyone was like, this is fantastic football. But then they couldn't stop conceding goals. 
And my fear is that a lot of these teams coming out now play nice, pretty football, but they can't help conceding goals. That's why I think it's important for West Brom that maybe get the Ivanovic deal across the line just to add that experience, that voice in the changing room. And if I'm Fulham, I'm looking at that as well. I'm looking at getting some experience in there. As John said there, it's a lot of championship players coming up and that's the same thing with West Brom. They've secured a lot of their players down, but these are players that got them up, the likes of Pereira and other players well, like Grady D and Garner. These are players from the championship rather than premiership proven players. It's it's a big risk. What do you do? Do you go and spend 100 million like Villa did or 100 million like Fulham did two seasons ago? Or do you stick with what you've got? It's a stick and twist scenario, but that gap's definitely getting bigger. Yeah. Uh, John, you were at uh, Tottenham. Jose Mourinho, is he getting his excuses in early this season? <laughs> well, yeah, he's certainly, he's certainly not wasted any time. Listen, I, I think that, that you really, once you call out the players like that, I, I just think that basically you're on a hiding to nothing there. I mean, honestly. You can't call your players lazy, can you? you? You absolutely cannot. And I just think that basically, on the one hand, he said that they're lazy. On the other hand, he said, well, we haven't had enough pre-season. So which is it? Because I, I, I refuse to believe that a lot of those players, who, who by the way, many have been away on international duty, we, we can't hide away from the fact that also that Spurs have, as Jose highlighted, had an issue with coronavirus. That's either positive tests or, or indeed self-isolating, you know, quarantining, basically. And, and that included Harry Kane. Harry Kane is trained, as, as, as Jose Mourinho pointed out, just once with Spurs. And then basically Harry Kane was miles off it yesterday, wasn't he? I mean, he was so far off it. And frankly, he was a bit like that with, with, with England. Golden chance in either game didn't, didn't take it, but it was just about his all-round play. And I just think that so many times down the years, Harry Kane has saved Spurs and, and he just looked a long, long way short. I think he touched it twice in the, the opposition box during the game. And, and, and frankly, you know, you could see in the first half he was trying and then this, by the second half he'd run out of gas. Yeah. And I just think that basically, that for me, that wasn't about the players being lazy. That, that was about the players being underprepared. And you could easily turn around and say, well, that's the same for everyone. And yes, it is to a degree. But I think when you've had virus issues, when you've had more players, you know, than, than, than some basically away on international duty, that is going to affect your performance levels. And I just think that is Jose the right fit for uh, Tottenham? We've always had our doubts, haven't we? And I think that the Mourinho monologue in, in the, the Spurs fly on the wall documentary has been interesting but revealing in its own way because it is the Jose Mourinho show. Once you hire that guy, it is all about him and he makes it all about him. He enjoys it all about him. And, and, and frankly, I, I'm just not convinced that you're going to get enough positive energy either from the players or from the fans supporting him. That, that, and it leaves me wondering, in 12 months' time, will Jose Mourinho still be in charge of Spurs? Because he was brought in to win trophies. Well, if he doesn't, then there's a very quick solution to, to that. And I'm still not convinced it's the right fit. And I've got doubts about Mourinho and Spurs this season. Yeah, the one thing, you know, if, if you look at that side yesterday... I take your point about Harry Kane, John, but what I also looked at, Addy, was just like the lack of creativity in midfield. They, you know, they, they don't really, they haven't really replaced Christian Eriksen, have they? That make, why don't they even go and get him back? Yeah, yeah, he seems to not have fallen out of favour with Inter Milan. He probably would like to come back. You know, they haven't replaced him at all. It's, it's a strange thing, this Mourinho Spurs thing. I, 
I sometimes question whether Mourinho still is Mourinho. Is he still that that guy that could come in and uh, and win trophies? I mean, he done it at United, and that's why I give him the benefit of a doubt that he, he done it there. He won the Europa League there. He won other trophies there. And I'm still thinking, can he do it at Spurs? But I don't think he has the checkbook in which to do it. And I, I don't want to accuse him, of, uh, accuse him as being a checkbook manager, but he does need to make the big signings, doesn't he? And he's not able to do that at Spurs. I think Doherty will be a good sign. I think Hoiberg, who had an awful game yesterday, will be a good signing, but they lack forward players. I mean, what's happened to Deli Ali? I mean, he should his face should be on a carton of a milk box, like missing. Deli Ali used to be <laughs> I thought Deli would Deli Ali by now would have 40 England caps, 50 England caps. I thought it would be a mainstay in the England squad. I mean he took him off at half time and nothing really changed. They need forward attacking players. I mean, if you are a striker though, and Spurs do call you, as they did call Ollie Watkins. I mean, you know you're only playing when Harry Kane's injured. I don't know if that's enough to tempt you to go to a big club, and Spurs are a big club. I don't know if it is. I mean, I, I think they'll struggle this season. I did pick them before the start of the season to make top six, and maybe I'm overreacting based on one game. But the balance just seems all wrong in that Spurs squad, and I just, I just don't know if Mourinho has that magic dust to sort that balance out anymore. Addy, I think you raise a great point just to, just on that on on, on Delhi. It's just I love Delhi. I think Delhi's got so much natural ability, and he, he's an instinctive player, isn't he? Yeah. And and you know he he does it by that that kind of gut feeling. You know he's got so much natural talent that sometimes I wonder whether he can be coached. But it's up to Jose to coach him and get the best out of him. You know he made such an impression on Delhi. When, when Jose arrived first time, do you remember that? You know the real Delhi stand up, yeah. and and it was it was really interesting to watch. And I just thought, blind, blind. I actually didn't think that Delhi was was by any means the worst player in the, in that first half yesterday. And he, he just takes him off at half time, and that's ruthless. That's brutal. And Sissoko comes on. And we all know that that Sissoko has been the most <laughs> unlikely Spurs hero yeah. in the last couple of seasons, hasn't he? And he just, he was miles off it, Sissoko. Because again, Mourinho said after the game, he's only trained with us twice. Well, why did you bring him on then? Yeah. I mean, what a waste of time. I think Mourinho's really, really got to, got to prove that I think this is his last, te- last chance at a big club. This is last chance saloon for, for me, for Mourinho. Because here, he's got to show that he's, he's not going to be able to be the checkbook manager. He's got to be go back to being the coach and the inspirational figure. And I think that basically th- this is such a big test for Mourinho. I, 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 I've, I'm reluctant to say that he's not got it still because I still think Mourinho is, it was so special that we have to believe that it's in there somewhere. But he's really got to show the old characteristics to lift Spurs again. Otherwise, other big clubs just, just won't give him a similar chance in the future. Yeah, let's look at that that sort of broader financial issues, if we could, Addy. There were some very, very good posts this morning by uh, Swiss Ramble, the financial analyst. He said seven clubs have benefited from for more than £100 million funding from their owners in the last five years. Chelsea and Roman Abramovich led the way with £440 million. Everton... 299 million, Villa 193, Fulham 186, Man City 142, Wolves 131 million. Now, in contrast to that, Man United have paid 89 million to their owners, and Tottenham have paid 40 million to theirs. 
are the owners, okay, they made a, a, a huge leap of faith with the stadium, and I accept that, and they're trying to build the brand, whatever, you know, waffle that means. But are the owners letting the club down by not actually financing the team? It's, um, it's a tough question. That I almost feel like football as a business is probably one of the worst businesses you could probably ever think of getting into <laughs> in terms of how football club is run. Do they do they spend what comes in, which is how it should be in a business, or do you do you spend in the hope that somehow it brings you results and you can attract the players you want to attract? I I just feel that Spurs just don't buy enough. It's strange. I was, you, you're watching them against Everton yesterday. And you just mentioned Everton there, and Everton have, have rolled the dice. I think this season, honestly, in terms of their spending, but you already look at the players they bought and you think that that's going to work. You know, Dakure is going to work. Hammers Rodriguez is going to work. And Allen, who I thought was man of the match, fantastic. That's going to work. Spurs just don't seem to want to follow that model at all. So it's going to it's going to be an interesting one because they bought a manager, as we've just speak, been speaking about, that likes to spend money. Mourinho wants to spend money and Spurs don't want to spend. So I just don't see how this works. I, I don't know how the conversations of when they employed Mourinho were like, okay, we don't have the money. Mourinho's like, okay, I'll still take this job. It's a strange one because we almost need to see Mourinho, Porto Mourinho. And I don't think Porto Mourinho exists anymore just because he's been to big clubs that like to spend big, big money. But I do think Spurs need to bring out that checkbook. If they don't, this team's going to be around ninth or 10th. And if it is around ninth or 10th, then I guess you've got to open the bigger question about Harry Kane. Does Harry Kane still stay at Spurs? Um, Harry Kane, I thought, was the best number nine in the world a couple of years ago. He's not that anymore. He's had his injuries. The goal scoring has come down. But I still think there's a fantastic player there. Does he stay at Spurs if they don't bring out the checkbook? I don't think so. Mm. What about Everton, John? What was your impression of them? I'm still to be convinced that uh, James Rodriguez will last a full Premier League season. He was great yesterday. And I think probably a big season is ahead for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm. What do you think, John, about the what was the mood music like from, from Ancelotti? Well, very positive, actually, afterwards, obviously, as you'd expect. I mean, I do think it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, Ancelotti was incredibly animated on the on the touchline just in just in front of us in in you know in the press box. And desire and the hunger is still there and still burns bright, I think, for Ancelotti. And I have to say, the way that Everton finished last season, you're thinking, blimey, how's this one going to play out? And I just think that they've backed him to the hilt, haven't they, in the the summer? Mm. I agree with you, Mike. I mean, I do think James is a really interesting player, isn't he? Because this is a reputation, this is a global superstar founded on his performances in the 2014 World Cup. And if you're being really unkind, then you could even say in one goal in the 2014 World Cup. Um, <laughs> That's unkind, and, and, John. That's unkind. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Eddie. But it's just, um, I, 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 he's such a wonderful, graceful player. And, you know, they played him kind of wide right. And he's, uh, you, you know, he, he was always looking to slip inside and the way he glides across the pitch and then basically he never ever misplaces a pass with that wonderful left foot. My slight issue will will be with James is and clearly Ancelotti loves him. I mean just look at where he's taking him. He's taking him again. He, you know, they're intertwined. I mean the, the Ancelotti, you know, put uh, uh, by him, put his faith in in James above Thomas Muller. I mean, you know, I mean it's it's 
there can be no doubting how highly he rates this player. So I guess he'll build his team. So they won't, I don't think you'll have that worry about him. But my worry for Hammers is that basically in a traditional English sense of setting up a team, where does he quite fit? And I think that Everton will, uh, they'll have to be open and expansive to some degree. I mean, you, you know, yesterday you had Richarlison who, if he could have finished, he could have had a hat-trick. And, and he's very, very quick, isn't he? And I thought his runs were very intelligent and kind of he supported Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin works so hard, has improved so much, I think, under Ancelotti's reign and also obviously taking huge soundings, I think, off, off Duncan Ferguson. And then the two deeper line midfielders who I thought were... were you went for Alan, frankly, I, I, I went for Tecore, and you could have had either, couldn't you? And I just thought that basically, I went for Tecore, man of the match, I just thought that both were brilliant. They gave the base of the team. So I think actually Everton's, it hasn't just been kind of superstar signing. It's been signings actually with a real plan. And so you've given the team a structure there. So you've given the luxury player in Hammers a base and a foundation to work from because he's got that protection behind him. And I think Everton look as if they've been ambitious and they've been strong in the market, whereas Spurs, I think, have been haphazard. I, I must say, I don't I don't share that uh, optimism about Hoiberg, for example, because I think Hoiberg yesterday looked one-dimensional because he looked purely a defensive player. Well, if you're aspiring to get into the top four, you've got to have both sides of the game, I think. And I'm not sure that Hoiberg has got that. Whereas I think Everton's players, I think Decore has got that up and coming enthusiasm about him. Allen, I think, has got a real pedigree. And and James, is, is, there's the challenge there to show everyone that he is indeed world-class. And I think Everton are really going places this season. Yeah, it does. Basically, the first day always sets a tone of sorts. West Ham. Now, you know, that's a, that's a club which looks increasingly rootless. I just want to start off by dwelling on Mark Noble. He's a guy who understands the club. He's got a great social conscience. And I think as captain, he had the right to express his opinions on a key issue, i.e. the selling of Diangana. Yet the so-called football men are saying it was wrong and he's almost broken some sort of unwritten Masonic rule. Is he the wrong target, Addy? He's definitely the wrong target. I mean, the, the only target really should be the owners of the club. I'm kind of split, though, Michael, on whether he was right or not to tweet that. I, I can, I, I feel like it just stokes the fire a bit too much there at West Ham right now. And I feel like it's a conversation behind closed doors rather than to the millions of his followers on social media. And then obviously all the West Ham fans get on board as well. And it, it really opens up the conversation. It's a mess at West Ham. It, it really is a big mess. And you look at the next sort of six or seven fixtures and, I mean, Moyes could be in trouble before the season's even really got going. I mean, you got Arsenal, Leicester, City, Wolves, Spurs and Liverpool next. I mean, Newcastle was the winnable game and, and they didn't look like they were going to win that game. And that, yes, they hit the crossbar cup, but that was the winnable game. This Grady Diangana situation hasn't helped as well. I feel that's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back because he wasn't a player that I think Moyes had that much interest in getting into that starting eleven. But because they sold him, because there's been no incomings, it really does sort of irk the West Ham fans. I think the issue 
I think with the West Ham fans is that obviously when they once they moved to the London Stadium, this was the hope for Champions League football. That's what we were being told, right? That we're going to move here, this nice big stadium, and we're going to be in the Champions League in a couple of seasons. It hasn't happened. I think Upton Park was a fantastic stadium. It had atmosphere, it had character. This doesn't really have this, the London Stadium. But there has been some spending. I mean, if you were to listen to West Ham fans, you would make it seem they would make it seem like they've spent absolutely no money whatsoever. They have spent a bit. Let's not forget, um, Sebastian. But there's 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 been no overriding plan in their recruitment, though, has it? You know, they're just sort of picking shiny little objects off the ground. They're not actually. There's no, as I see it, there's no cohesive re- recruitment department mm. there. You know, that's you know, you, it's all very well spending money, but you're going to spend it wisely, and they don't. That, that's that's the big issue. And I, I hands up, and I hundred percent agree with you on that one. I, I do wonder if it's the chopping and changing of managers who have different philosophies and different ideas and different ways in which to play. I think Moyes can do a good job if they're given money. But you're right, the recruitment's been bad. I do think players like Jared Bowen's a good player to come in. I think he would do something. But you look at other players, that Sebastian Haller's not worked, and that was £45 million. Formels has not worked. Another £25 million gone down the drain there as well. Yarmolenko, who they're trying to get rid of, didn't work. He was nearly £20 million. So um, you're right, money has been spent. You, you have to question who is actually doing the recruitment. Is it the managers? Is it, a, is it the board? It's a big mess right now at West Ham. Yeah, I've got, I've got a you know, West Ham supporting friend of mine who texted me on uh, on Saturday nights, and he basically said, "Look, I think we'll have no points after seven games," which gives you an indication of the where the uh, the way the fan base are thinking. Mm. And it's it's ironic, isn't it, John? We're in a situation where the fans aren't in the stadium, but almost the fans are driving the agenda at this particular football club. Thank God they're not in the stadium by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, they'd, they'd be on the pitch, wouldn't they? I know, I know. I do, Addy, you spot on. I, I, I do think that basically it would be, it would be toxic after, after one game. Listen, I get that frustration. I can understand that frustration because it's, going back to the original point about the Noble text, I, I actually see where you're coming from, um, Addy. It's just that basically Mark Noble, I guess, was so frustrated that he let it spill over. But do you then let it spill over in public? I don't know. It's But it's the nature of the player, isn't it? It's the homegrown player that give the West Ham fans hope. And they're not afraid to admit that, that they love a player coming through. And that's what they're about. And I just think that, I think sometimes, I know we talk about this sort of the new stadium in the Champions League, but I don't know that they desperately want miracles. I just think they want some pride and they want a direction and they want their identity. And it's it's a long way at the moment from what I think what West Ham stand for. I do actually feel really sorry for David Moyes. I think he's, he's kind of caught somewhere uncomfortably in the middle in that basically I look at West Ham and they've they're, 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 they've got frailties. They've got defensive frailties. Now, if he's being told we don't want to lose Declan Rice, for example, but you're going to have to find money from elsewhere, I don't actually think selling a younger player with potential, who basically we don't know whether he's going to fulfil it or not for twenty million pounds, is the worst thing in the world. If and I stress this, if you then basically use that money to improve the squad elsewhere. And I just feel that that basically it's obvious that they're probably going to use some of that cash, hopefully, isn't it, to maybe go and sign a centre-half there in the market for Tarkowski. Now, the problem with that is you sold a younger, up-and-coming, bright forward and maybe finance it, sign a sort of proven Premier League defender from Burnley. Well, as much as that probably isn't necessary, you can understand that frustration because... 
fans are rightly sort of saying, well, hang on a minute, look at, look at, for example, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace didn't initiate sort of kind of a pay cut and yet they've kind of spent some money in the summer. You know, why couldn't we go for a another forward if, if, we're, if we're doing this? And, and I just get that. I just think that the, basically at the moment, it's it, it just, I just feel that that negativity is, 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 a major, is a major concern. And I just don't know whether West Ham can turn it around. I think they've got a really good proven manager in David Moyes, but David Moyes will probably be caught up in the, in the, in the crossfire at some point. And whether that drags him down remains to be seen. I, I I don't think anyone, or not that I've seen, has put West Ham in their bottom three. But I think that basically, if they don't get it sorted and if they don't kind of reinvest some of the cash that they've obviously got in, then I think there's a real danger for West Ham this season. I really do. And I feel, feel for the fans, they deserve so much more. Yeah, oh, I must admit, I put my hands up. I did have them in my bottom three. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Newcastle, Addy? Is it time to give Steve Bruce some credit? Because it must be really difficult, you know, on a human level, forget about football, to keep going when everyone's assuming you're going to be sacked. Yeah, especially when everyone doesn't, or initially didn't want you to be there. I don't know if that's because they disliked him that much or they liked Rafa Benitez so much. But either way, I think it now needs to stop. I mean, he had and a horrendous time last season with injuries and still managed to dig out results. And I think the signings they've made so far this season tell me that unlike, I was just talking about West Ham, unlike that, he has an idea of what they want. I think goal scoring was a massive problem, obviously, for them last season. I think Joe Linton got, what, two goals. They've addressed that with Callum Wilson. And I think Callum Wilson's going to do such a good job, especially if we can get to the Callum Wilson of two seasons ago that got called up to the England squad. Ryan Fraser, I think, is a fantastic player as well. So I think Steve Bruce deserves an immense amount of respect. The pressure that he's been under from Newcastle fans since he got employed has been, I think, just disgraceful. I think it's been disgraceful and he's still been able to just roll with the punches, get on. I mean, you interview him and he still gives you so much, always energetic. And I think um, credit to him to keep on going. And finally, I think now, especially when you consider all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes as well with fell takeovers and Mike Ashley out every single week, he's been able to roll up his sleeves and get a job done and get a team on the pitch. But I think it's going places. I think he's got a lot of good players at Newcastle and I think the signings are only going to push them further up the table. So credit to Steve Bruce. What about Andy Carroll, John? You hope against hope that he's going to stay fit because if he does stay fit, he is a unit and he does cause chaos, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And then also, I don't know whether you see, you've seen the wonderful goal from one of their pre-season friendlies, guys. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, vintage Andy it's like, you know, well, we weren't sure whether he still had it in him. Yeah. Well, we had it. It's just amazing, you know, the sort of kind of the, the swivel turn and the wonderful finish from the edge of the box. Absolutely sheer class. Unbelievable. But look, he is a, he is a handful. And... I also think that basically it might be that kind of foil at times for for Callum Wilson as well, because I I was actually slightly worried for for, for Callum Wilson simply because he he came at it from such a low base in terms of confidence, but there's a real player there I think in, in in Wilson, and he got himself in the England squad. He was quite prolific. He was you know he works hard, and I just think that basically sometimes I think it can be difficult for the lone striker if he's going to a new club and if then basically if he's got a strike partner 
and then basically Carol is then trusted to be that sort of strike partner, then it might be a partnership moving forward and get gets the best out of both of them, basically. But I think it's really interesting that Newcastle, you suddenly think, actually, those three signings that they did, what what, what was it, last week, they're basically, they, they, they really made sense. And it feels like takeover, perhaps, we saw Mike Ashley in the stands at West Ham, didn't we, on, on, on Saturday? And takeover, where's it going it doesn't look as if it's going to be resolved any time soon. So the fear for Newcastle fans is obviously they want the new owner and you can totally understand and respect that that view. But then basically they don't want another season of just sheer frustration. And I just think that basically that those three signs give them hope and that basically they're moving, you know, with Lewis, Fraser and Wilson. It gives them sort of a real positivity moving in the right direction. But then also in Steve Bruce, they have got a manager who I think exceeded expectations. I think he did a really, really, really good job in, in undeserved criticism when, frankly, the, 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 you know, the fans just weren't having him. And so I think he defied odds from all angles, basically. Mm, yeah, I, I think, you know, to the you can add Jeff Hendricks, uh, Hendrick to that mix, can't you? Because, you know, there's... You can take the boy out of Burnley, but you can't take Burnley out of the boy, can you? I thought he was exceptional. Yeah, he was. He was fantastic for Newcastle. And he's a great sign. It's probably the sign that's almost gone under the radar. Uh, I think Ryan Fraser, a lot of people looking at Ryan Fraser just because free agent, you you can look at him. Callum Wilson, striker, always will get the pointers. But Jeff Hendrick, I think, can play anywhere across that midfield. It's a fantastic signing. I think if you asked ask Steve Bruce quietly who who his best signing sorry, was, I think he probably would point to Jeff Hendrick being that that, that linchpin in that midfield. And I think um, obviously it helps getting a goal and an assist on your debut as well. I thought he looked fantastic against West Ham. Yeah, John, Arsenal is a club you know very well. Mikel Arteta, what's in a name? He's the manager now rather than the head coach. Is that a sign, do you think, of his growing influence at the club? Yeah, it is a curious one, isn't it? A few of us did a sort of a Zoom call with uh, the Arsenal uh, managing director and also the technical director, Edu. And it was, it was one of the more surprising things to come out of that was that just that sort of tweak of one of the hierarchy of Ventuxurum. And then basically also, who's now been made chief executive, and then also Arteta being sort of upgraded to you know, first team manager, which was frankly the title that Arsene Wenger used to hold back in the day when Arsene Wenger was kind of questioning whether you really needed a tech, technical director. And yeah, clearly, I think it's Arteta sort of making a bit of a power grab. I think it basically, he has impressed them so much that they're basically, I think they were willing to give him give him that sort of title. I think he does go far beyond kind of just coaching the players that he's given. He's got a say with Edu on, on on transfers and basically, you know, he knows what he wants. Yeah, you know, I think he's he's incredibly intelligent guy. See, you know, wants to be a part of the board, wants to be a part of the running of the club. And I think he basically goes way beyond that kind of just that first team coach. And I think the hierarchy clearly know that, that he, how good he is. And that's I think brilliant to see really. I I think Arteta is going to be a world-class manager, I really do. And I think basically, you know, Arsenal are clearly going places under him. My biggest doubt, I think, for this season was whether they could get the business done that they needed to kind of really kick on. I still think that top four is going to be a big ask for them this season. But I do think they're moving massively in the right direction. They've got the forward momentum and it's good to see 
that the kind of the board recognise that and give Arteta that sort of power that he wants. Yeah, I th- I thought I read a really good piece by Art Doroche where he was looking at the way that Rob Holding helped Gabriel through his debut, and that to me was a sign of of, of obviously you know a strong ethic instilled in the squad by Arteta and a sign that the squad is really cohesive. Absolutely. Although we won't try and mention the Ceballos and Enketia incident, um, I think a few minutes before kickoff. But I, I think um, I think the squad is it is a happy squad. Even Aubameyang, to be fair, Aubameyang always smiles, so it's always difficult to tell when he's upset or not. But I think um, that's one thing that Arteta has brought to the club. And that's why I think that the, the upgrade, if you like, to his title now shows the influence that he does a lot more than just what's on the training pitch and sitting sitting pitch side for 90 minutes. If you think of what he came into at the club, the situation with Ozil, the situation that followed with Guendouzi, the situation with Xhaka, uh, the Aubameyang contract, he's been integral in getting some of these deals across the line, the William one as well in particular. I think he's got a very good base there and I think everyone seems to be happy. Like John, I think top four is just going to be out of reach, but I don't think we should judge Arteta on that. I think um, he will turn out to be a fantastic manager. I think in a couple of seasons, if he can get the players he wants, and he's he's spoken about this, like not being it all done in one window, if he can get the couple of players that he wants, I think they'll be up there in, in the two, two or three seasons. I think um, he's a fantastic manager. What about Martinez? It looks like he's going to Aston Villa, John. Is that a mistake? Yeah, I, I'm I'm slightly dubious about this one. I mean, it's very difficult to keep two really top quality keepers happy. And listen, I, I guess there has to be an element, doesn't there, that basically if Lino doesn't get injured at Brighton, Martinez didn't wouldn't have played another game in, in, in this in, in the course of the season. And Martinez would probably be sold to I don't know, to to uh, not a Premier League club, I would argue, but another club for about five hundred thousand pounds. And basically everyone would say, oh, kind of, I wonder who's going to be the next reserve team keeper. But And so I guess Arsenal were kind of on the brink of making £20 million from a very unlikely source. And they do have to do that. They do have to basically, you know, sell before they can buy again. And they do want to buy again, by the way. But they're just having trouble shifting Ozil from the contract. They're having trouble shifting, I think, Gwendouzi, who clearly they want to get rid of, and, and even a player like Socrates, for example. And I just think that basically in the absence of that, it's an element of the club needing to sell, but also Martinez making it absolutely clear, look, I want to be playing. You know, I've come of an age basically where I think I've shown that I can I can play regularly for a Premier League club and I want to be given that opportunity. But I just think that basically what a character he is. And I had my doubts, you know, even when he came on at Brighton, because... You just wonder, don't you? But his decision-making was exceptional. His goalkeeping, fantastic. He was just brilliant. He was a breath of fresh air, great character, great fairy tale story about never giving up and always sort of kind of seizing that opportunity. And I love that positive energy. And I just think it's sad that basically that they're sort of kind of having to do this. I mean, listen, the deal hasn't gone through quite yet. I'm sure it will, but it hasn't gone quite through yet. Why? Because they're still trying to find another goalkeeper. So... It's obvious that basically they need a backup keeper, but I just think whoever they bring in won't be as good as Martinez. So we could talk about it all day, about kind of wanting to to play, him sort of kind of deserving the chance to play. 
but you end up at the back of it with a slightly weaker squad in your goalkeeper department, I think, if, if he, indeed he does, and I'm sure he will complete that move to Villa. Mm. Just want to dwell very quickly, if I may, Addy, on events at the Parc de Prince last night. Neymar has made accusations of racism directed against him in a game which finished eight against nine, referee giving five red cards, including one for Neymar. You know, when we look back at French football and the abuse that Balotelli received when he was at Nice, how important is it that the French League get hold of this and actually really investigate Neymar's complaints properly? Oh, it's it's very important. And I think they will just because it's Neymar, right? Um, You're talking of one of the the biggest profiles in not just football, in world sport. I, I think it's sad how he's come out and said, that racist comments were labelled at him and I think people have questioned whether or not he's lying. It's almost as like he's got to validate what's been chucked his way. It's just, it's just a sad time for racism in the sport in general, but I think they will get hold of it just because it's Neymar and I think they need to to, to get this done very quickly. I, I'm more intrigued to, to know what punishment will be handed out if it's found that the person was throwing racist words out. And I think Neymar's come out and said it wasn't just at that instance as well, that was actually out throughout the 90 minutes or throughout the duration of the game. So it'd be interesting to see what um, French football do, but I think they'll do a lot with this one just because of the, the profile of the player. Yeah, I think I think a stand needs to be taken and, and I think any suspension needs to be a, a very, very long one. Wrapping it all up, John, our thoughts for the day. What would you like to get off your chest? Well, I tell you what, it's, it's, it's one that's sort of kind of still bubbling on. So maybe I should give people a bit of the benefit of the doubt. But basically, I, I, I just want to talk about and raise the, the ongoing issue about the Premier League support for the EFL. And perhaps that sort of lends itself also into a bit of a wider issue about sort of kind of governing bodies because of the farce of the first round of the Nations League games and UEFA decision to get games going in September, when really the obvious thing would have been to do to do two lots of treble headers in October, November, when, when games are underway. And I just think that football has done remarkable things to kind of get underway. And I think that the Premier League's project restart was 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 astonishing. It was a great achievement. And frankly, I think they were let down a little bit by, by, by UEFA. So I'm prepared to kind of hope that the Premier League do the right thing. But we're talking here about something that that has lingered over from July and August when it was raised at a shareholders meeting. There is definitely a will there amongst clubs to kind of give some extra support. Of course, they've already forwarded some money in advance to the EFL. But I just feel that we're going to have an extended period, aren't we, with fans outside of the grounds. For League One and League Two clubs, that is going to be absolutely devastating. And I do think that you will see, you know, we must not let this issue drop. And I just think that I, I was on a Zoom call last week with, with with Richard Masters and and frankly, they're still talking about it, but they have to find the right level. And I know that the Premier League will say, well, listen, we've got our own problems of our own, but I don't know whether they've got the same level of crisis as some clubs have in League One and League Two. And I just hope that they can find the right sort of solution, whether that's delaying parachute payments, giving them extra you know, funding. I think, frankly, that there is the money there to save some clubs because we are going to see League One and League Two clubs go to the wall unless Big Brother helps them. And, and we should recognise that they're all part of the football family 
And I just feel that that basically that that's my rant of the week. Do the right thing. Okay, I think we know what the subject of your rant's going to be, Eddie. Yeah, my my rant of the week is football kits. I'm going to call it the football kit ripoff. Now, look, I'm at an age now, to be fair, where I don't really care about buying a football kit. I have to admit. But there was a time when I would be begging my mum, maybe even putting out a, a full pretend tears for my mum to go out and buy me the latest Liverpool jersey. Now, she's probably thanking the Lord above that I no longer live with her, as clubs seem to be having, clubs seem to have gone football kit mad. And I think it's disgraceful. Look, I can accept changing your kit once every two to three seasons, but every single season, home and away. Oh, and now there's a third kit and a training kit. I think it's just embarrassing. And I think it's a real kick in the teeth to the working class fans who these clubs pretend to care about. Now, look, we won't even get into the cost of the kits because I don't think this podcast has an 18 rating, but there are even different versions of them. I mean, for example, Liverpool, you can buy what to the naked eye looks like the same proper kit, but for an extra 20 or 30 kit quid, sorry, you can actually buy the kit the players actually wear. So, I mean, there's now like three or four different kits. So basically, Liverpool bring out 14 new kits at the start of this season. 14, if you include training kits. And I think it's just, I think it's just gone bonkers. I mean, John might tell you a time back in the day where they didn't change kits for like five or six seasons. And again, I just think new kits, and I know they get all these fancy influences to wear them and et cetera, et cetera, and all the, all the launch parties. But I think um, they need to look at the people that are buying the kits. And I think a lot of these working class families can't afford, look, they don't have to buy them, but they will. They can't afford to keep buying new kits every single season. I think it's just a bit of a disgrace. 14, 14, is that right? It's just, I, I think it's no like 12 idea. or 13, yeah, something ridiculous. It's, it's, it's really wow. high. Yeah, uh, wow. that, that Manchester United third kick gives me a migraine when I look at that one. It's <laughs> awful. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll wrap this up because I'll actually reinforce the point that John made just a, a couple of minutes ago. I'm probably going to be a little bit harsher, actually, towards the Premier League because it's, you know, so much for, oh, we're all in this together, chaps. Well, actually, the Football League clubs, as John said earlier, are facing an existential crisis. The pandemic seems to be reviving. Clubs are fearful of winter. Now, of course, the biggest clubs aren't immune to social and financial pressure. But relatively speaking, they're pretty well set. I think the Premier League have wasted a rare opportunity to show they care. And I'll be specific. Fulham's promotion led to a £34 million parachute payment being defaulted. Now, that's now being distributed amongst the 20 Premier League teams. Why not share that windfall amongst football league clubs, as the EFL pleaded? That would have given the smaller clubs around half a million pounds each, which is an absolute lifeline. But selfishness, as usual, ruled. Remember that the next time you see a shiny PR campaign that says football cares about its own. It doesn't. Thanks, though, to John and Addy for their insights and opinion, and as ever... To you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 